Alrighty, hello again everyone and welcome to it. It is the Derek Hunter Podcast for what the hell's the second day of December 2022. Happy, glorious, beautiful, wonderful, delicious Friday. I am Derek Hunter. I am your host. Appreciate you listening, downloading, sharing, telling a friend, all that good stuff. Check out, enter to win this autographed Donald Trump book or Anne Rice book. Drawing will be held on Sunday. Winner announced on Monday at patreon.com slash Derek Hunter Podcast or DerekHunter.locals.com. That's where you also get the week in F and review. The way news talked about, the way the news deserves to be talked about with filthy language telling these uh, disgusting people what they can do and where they can stuff it. It's a good time. A splendid time is guaranteed for all. So check that out. Support the show. Appreciate it. it earn my eternal appreciation. All right, let us start the program. There's a lot going on. There's a bunch of things to talk about, and we shall cover as many of them as humanly possible in the time allotted. I, uh, Lord, we've got some, there's controversies, controversies, controversies. It's not very often on the show you get to hear a billionaire whine and complain about how bad they've got it. But we will uh, we'll carry I'm not talking about that Sam Bankman Freed weirdo. I've watched part of his in- he did an interview with the New York Times. He's done an interview with George Snuffleupagus. I just don't it's amazing to me like of course conservative media is running around going listen to this clip where he says this and where he says that he doesn't actually say anything. He doesn't say anything because he's not pressed to say anything. He's really not. You you watch the New York Times interview thing with him, and it's not very often that somebody who's possibly the greatest criminal, at least the largest uh, felony theft scammer since Bernie Madoff, if not bigger. We don't know. That's the thing is we don't know the scope and scale of this yet. That they get a softball interview. Andrew Ross Sorkin going, did you, did you mean... To steal those billions of dollars? No, I didn't mean to. Well, that's good enough for me, as long as you didn't. It's like watching somebody be examined by their defense attorney. That's how these interviews have been. Like It's, oh, wow, you just kind of fell bass backwards into money, and boy, things just went sideways through no fault of your own. I mean, well, who could possibly be expected to be able to manage billions of dollars? Well, I would go out on a limb and say the guy who founded the company to manage billions of dollars. I would assume that that guy could manage billions of dollars, or at least I would hope that that guy could manage billions of dollars. And if he can't manage billions of dollars, that guy has a moral and, dare I say, legal obligation to get out of the damn job so that somebody who can manage billions of dollars of other people's money can come in and do that job, right? Doesn't that seem like a normal thing to do? Like, oh, wow, I founded this company and it's wildly successful and I don't know what, I don't know the first clue what to do. Well, you've got billions of dollars of other people's money, tens of billions of dollars of other people's money. If you don't know what to do, maybe you should get out of the way. Instead, they seem to have an Adderall-fueled orgy nonstop. I don't know. Could you imagine? I imagine this is like the worst key party ever in the 1970s where you show up and uh, everybody's throwing their, their Volkswagen Beetle keys into the bowl and then somebody attractive shows up and they're like, hey, whoa, whoa, wait a second. 
we don't serve your kid around these parts. Because that seems to be the only requirement for, for being there. You're like, okay, are you a chud? Uh, you know, if you don't know what a chud is, there was a movie in the 80s called Chud. Cannibalistic humanoid underground dwellers. Needless to say, they are not going to be winning any beauty contest. Well, actually, now that I think about it, now that that dude won the beauty contest up in New England, there's a possibility a chud could win a, a beauty contest. Yeah, now that I think about it, there's a possibility any one of these people with this company and these uh, orgies at uh, FTX could win a beauty contest. They probably found the beauty contest. They'd probably run the beauty, whatever it is. They'd steal from it, too, while they, they won the award. But that seems to be all they did. It's like, oh, shucks, I didn't know what I was doing. Well, then why the hell were you in charge? Because there comes a certain point where if you don't know what you're doing, yet you are part of a corporation that is taking money from other people, you you need to get the hell out of the way. I don't care how weird you are. I don't care how neurotic you are. I don't care how many cups of coffee you drink a day that cause you to look like the San Andreas Fault on a bad day when you're sitting there talking to Chuck Todd and you're shaking like a a bowl of jello on a dirt road, dashboard of a car on a dirt road. I don't care. There comes a certain point where you have to go, I'm not very good at this. We need to get somebody in here. If only because you go, not because you go, I wouldn't want to rip people off. No, no, I don't nearly expect that. Most people don't have that sort of moral compass, especially while the cash is rolling in. But because you go, because if I screw this up, I'm going to run risk of going to jail. I'm going to run risk of going to jail. Now, theoretically, most people don't want to go to jail. It's a weird thing about human beings. We have, as a across the spectrum of species, I don't, uh, we don't have a lot in common as individuals. We're 8 billion individuals on the planet. But I would venture a guess to say that 99.99999 with a line over it percent of us don't want to go to jail. It's about as close to universality as you can get as a species. I mean, I guess you can go a little bit further if you have, uh, you know, we all like air. We all enjoy breathing. We all enjoy food of some sort or another. Okay, yes, fine. You can get to 100% in that way. But other things, non uh, existence-based things don't seem to have that kind of universality, right? But not going to jail is right up there. It's as close as you get where everybody's like, I don't want to go to jail. You know what? I don't want to. You want to strike up a, a conversation. If you're sitting there, you're having a disagreement with somebody or you're in a room with a stranger or whatever, you just want to have a conversation where you agree on something. You don't want to argue politics or anything. You just turn to them, turn to them and say, Hey, uh, I, w- I don't want to go to jail. Do you want to go to jail? Then they'd be confused. But after you explained why you said it, I bet you they would go, you're, you're right. I, don't, I also do not wish to go to jail. It's weird how that works. Yet for Sam Bankman Freed, eh, he doesn't seem to care about going to jail. Well, we're losing money. We're taking, he had two companies. People are investing money with one company and the other money's the other company's loaning money out. And they say, hey, we gotta instead of, I don't know, generating capital or maybe borrowing money on our own from a, another third party that because that would require looking at the books. You know, we we wanna live like multi billionaires that we supposedly are, at least on paper. 
how about we just take the money that people gave us to invest and we throw it over to the other company and then we loan it to ourselves. Can we do that? Can we? And we buy stuff with it and things. And they said, sure, yeah, let's do that. While the illegal commingling funds and Sam Bankman-Fried was asked, I would say he's pressed about this, but he wasn't pressed about it by Andrew Ross Sorkin of CNBC he and, and, and the New York Times. He was just asked about it. Did you commingle funds? Well, I didn't mean to commingle funds. Well, I'm, I'm satisfied with you. Now, how can you sit there and have this kind of cavalier attitude towards, quite frankly, massive felonies? Lots of felonies. You did. If you did this, a knock would have, I can't say a knock would happen at your door. A knock would have already happened at your door. No matter where you are in the world, the CIA would have been dispatched. They would have tried to negotiate your extradition if there was no extradition treaty with the country in which you were hiding. They would have sent somebody with a burlap sack to throw over your head give you some chloroform, club you over the head, maybe throw you in the backseat of a sedan and take you to a small airport where you'd be put on a private plane. It'd be very much like, oh, what the hell was it? It was a, one of the Batman movies. I can't remember which one it was. It was, a, it was the one with the Joker, the one that was highly overrated. And he, goes, he goes to Asia and he, he kidnaps that guy and he's then uh, left on the steps for Commissioner Gordon to find. That, that's kind of, they'd dispatch Batman to come and get you if you did this. Unless you were politically connected. Unless you were politically connected. Then they might go, well, geez, we don't really know whether or not there was a crime. Well, there is kind of a crime when you're living in a penthouse bought with money that you got from one of your companies that was actually funded by the money that company got from your other company and you can't really just throw the money over the fence. It's not they're, they're two separate entities. So uh, you're taking people's money. You're accessing people's accounts without telling people you're accessing their accounts. And you're draining their accounts without telling people you're draining their accounts with, uh, I believe, not even having their, you know, when they come and check their balance, not having it reflect that, oh, wait, wait a second, I put in $100 million. Why is my bank account balance, why is my investment account zero? No, no, I think it still says, well, you still got $100 million in there. The only problem is when you go from the check balance stage of the ATM transaction to the withdraw stage of the ATM transaction. And, you know, if you want to just get out 10, 20 bucks, buy a pack of smokes, you're going to get that money. You want to go, you know what? I kind of want to get out uh, that $100 million and put it someplace else. Then they go, ooh, insufficient funds. But wait a second. My my balance is there. It says it's there. But no, no, no. You see what in reality, it's there, but it's not really there, there. We took it and bought ourselves a couple of sweet-ass penthouses in the Bahamas. I mean, if it's an investment, really. Oh, what kind of investment is that? Well, it's a real estate investment. Do you expect a massive return on that investment when you buy places for the people running the company to live rent-free? Is that some kind of investment? Because I would then wish somebody to invest like that in me. Give me the money. I will happily buy some place to live in a third-party country that makes it rather difficult for me to be extradited back to the United States and, uh, you know, live like a king. 
but know that your investment in me is not monetary. It is in my happiness. And I promise you a great return on that investment in my happiness. Not so much on the monetary aspect of it, but on the happiness thing. I will send you occasional postcards, in fact, attesting to the fact that you have uh, a massive return on your investment in my happiness. That seems to be what uh, the business model of FTX was. And this guy can sit down with Snuffleupagus, can sit down with the New York Times, and come out not being pressed on all of these things. And nobody's going, why haven't you been arrested yet? Why are you there? What is going on? No hard questions, no, hey, uh, you really ripped him off. It's just he kind of gets a tough question, a tough-ish question, and he goes, oh, shucks, gee, I don't know. I just don't know. Things got out of hand. Oh, all right. And all of this is not because he's so super sexy and charming. We've already established he's part of the Chud orgy system. But it's because he wrote a ton of money, gave a ton of money to Democrats. Now, we know about $40 million. We know he was the number two Democrat right behind Papa George Soros. What we don't know is really all of the details. We don't know how much, really. We just kind of have his word. We know what the records show. But what else did he do? We also know that the media is working desperately to try and cover that up. Yesterday in his interview, the uh, Sam Bankman-Fried said something that caused the media to uh, become flush, become aroused, if you will, that he gave equal money to Republicans and Democrats. But you see, the difference is he gave the money to Republicans in dark money. Now, that works on several levels. Democrats hate dark money that they don't get. They, they use all kinds of dark money. They get all these organizations set up on the side, these super PACs. They love, they're swimming, they're neck deep in it. They are as deep as Ted Kennedy left Mary Jo Kopechny to die in dark money. They are buried in it way up over the dash, over the roof of the Lincoln. They are in it deep. But they don't like dark money that they don't get. But saying, oh, I gave this in dark money, there was no follow-up. There was no pushback. Okay, what dark money? What organizations did you get? What campaigns did you funnel this money to? If Republicans are neck deep in your money just as much to the tune of $40 million as Democrats are, there should be some kind of paper trail, should there not be? Some kind of way to prove it. But they didn't ask. Now, why wouldn't they ask? Now, I don't know. You don't want to ask, as a lawyer, you don't want to ask the questions you don't know the answer to in court. But as a journalist, you definitely want to ask questions you don't know the answer to because, well, that's the freaking point of the question. But Andrew Ross Sorkin didn't bother asking that question. Why? Who knows? You can speculate that it's because there is no convenient answer for Democrats. You can say, well, uh, with the implication that both parties are uh, neck deep in this guy's money then sort of absolves. It doesn't really absolve Democrats. I guess it, it says, see, everybody does it. Everybody's on this bankroll. There you go. 
It's the same thing they did with Jeffrey Epstein. Jeffrey Epstein rolled in Democrat circles, rolled in Democrat circles. And then they find one picture of him and Trump together and they go, see, he was uh, bipartisan. Except for the fact that Donald Trump kicked him out of Mar-a-Lago, banned him from Mar-a-Lago when he found out that he was a pervert hitting on staff. And, you know, and Bill Clinton was flying around the world with the dude. And George Stephanopoulos went to a post child molestation prison sentence dinner at his house, welcoming him back home. Oh, my favorite pedophile is finally out. Let's have dinner, pal. See, there's a difference. There's a big difference. Never mind the fact that Donald Trump was a Democrat at the time the picture was taken. Meh. Never mind. They were able to say he was both sides. He was connected and involved in politics with both political parties. They're trying to do the same thing with this guy and hoping that the story will just go away because nothing good can come of it from Democrats. Only bad can come of it from Democrats. There's a reason this story didn't break until after the election. They knew that things were going south before the election. It didn't break it until after the election, how much money this guy gave to Democrats. Because why? Because how would that have helped Democrats? Everything the media does now. It used to be just most things or some things or certain things. Now it's everything they do is to help Democrats. So they'll run blocker for this chud and watch hundreds of thousands of people lose their life savings that they invested with this guy But don't worry, the party's interests are served. It's very Soviet. It's very communist. It's very frightening. It's very progressive. So as you you watch these uh, Sam Bankman-Fried interviews and you see all these clips, they're really not focusing on the important things. The important things are why is this... First of all, okay, if you gave money to Republicans, tell us who. Tell us how. We want to know how. And uh, why aren't you in jail? Is it because you gave $40 million to elect Democrats? I did note that uh, when he was talking about, I gave equal money to both parties. I don't know if I give, while shaking uncontrollably. Um, he said that he gave it during the primaries. He gave it during the primaries, he said, because then you can, uh, you know, it's more important to pick who the candidates are, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, so... There's actually a, a bigger story in there for any journalist. Well, <laughs> there are no journalists anymore. But there would be a bigger story in there for any journalist out there willing to look into it. Was he a massive player in the Democrats' strategy to pick the Republican candidates, right? Because Democrats spent somewhere in their neighborhood of $60, 70000000 million. I forget what it is off the top of my head. million in Republican primaries to try to pick the Republicans they thought would be the most beatable. Turns out they weren't all that wrong. They did quite well. But if he did that with coordination, if he was giving money to, say, all these same Republican candidates in primaries, like like Dr. Oz, Democrats desperately wanted to run against Dr. Oz in Pennsylvania. Like, well, Frankenstein will lose to everybody except Dr. Oz. So let's nominate Dr. Actually, it wasn't Frankenstein at the time. He hadn't uh, had his stroke yet. But he was still a pretty worthless lieutenant governor who had never done anything and looked like a weirdo and had that giant 
growth of Voldemort on the back of his neck or whatever the hell it was. Uh, you know, they said, well, the Demo- whoever the Democrat is will have a better time beating Dr. Oz than anybody else. So they threw a bunch of money behind Dr. Oz. If Sam Bankman Freed was involved in that, one has to wonder how it is he became involved in that. If he gave money, like you said, through dark money causes to help nominate Republicans who ultimately lost and help nominate Democrats who or nominate Republicans who Democrats were also spending money to help. Then you have to ask the question, was there coordination? Was there coordination? So, you know, that word is very important because by law, parties and candidates cannot coordinate with outside groups. They can't. They do, but they can't. So if this guy is confessing to a pretty major felony violation of campaign finance laws or even hinting at it, it is, again, a question that would warrant some kind of follow-up. Should it not? Sam Bankman Freed said he didn't want to give his money publicly because uh, all journalists are left-wingers, and there would have been outrage that he was giving money to Republican candidates as well as Democrat candidates. Now, that is a matter of knowing which buttons to push and which things to say, and in many ways that causes journalists who are left-wingers to go recoil in whore. There's no, what do you mean by that, and how dare you say such a thing, because they all know it's true. It's a rabbit hole they don't want to go down. So they walk away from it like, I'm not going to ask any more questions about that because I don't want him to point out to people uh, that we're a bunch of hack shills for the Democrat Party, even though most consumers of the uh, mainstream media know that. There are still some who think we're honest brokers, so let's not go down that hole. It's kind of brilliant if you want to insulate yourself in there, implicate yourself in a conspiracy that involves your questioner and their credibility. And they won't really want to go down it. They'll just say, well, we checked that box. We did that. But it would be interesting to see because as Republicans prepare to take over the House of Representatives, it would be good, it would behoove, say, a Jim Jordan type or maybe the Jim Jordan himself to maybe send a letter to the Bahama Mama and his gang down there to say, hey, preserve all records. Because I imagine that they're feverishly trying to delete a bunch of things. The Justice Department is so dragging its feet because there's so many bad implications to Democrats that uh, they don't really, they're hoping this dies down so they don't have to explore any of these questions. And they probably will. But Republicans in Congress will be able to investigate in a way that the Justice Department will not and doesn't want done. So if you send a letter, preservation letter saying you need to preserve all communications, etc., etc., regarding X, Y, and Z or involving X, Y, and Z, then they will have to. Then they, he would run risk of being in violation, being held in contempt of Congress were he to violate that. Which, as we learned with the Steve Bannon prosecution and conviction, being held in contempt of Congress and thwarting 
thwarting a congressional subpoena or even congressional orders is perhaps the greatest crime anybody could ever commit, as long as Congress is controlled by Democrats. But that's beside the point. I don't expect the judge wouldn't expect the Justice Department, this Justice Department, to prosecute him, but there won't always be this Justice Department. So you get them to preserve those records just in case you can find anything about coordination, because I guarantee you there are a lot of communications between a guy who spent $40 million trying to elect Democrats and allegedly another $40 million trying to nominate Republicans. I guarantee you there are a lot of communications between that guy and politicians, particularly Democratic politicians, I would bet. But if there are some Republicans snared in there, they should be outed too. It'd be interesting to see if and this happens. I doubt it, but it would be nice. It'd be it'd really tell you, like I, I'd say generally Republicans aren't good at this sort of thing, but Jim Jordan is actually pretty good at this. So hopefully his team is, is at least a dogged questioner. Hopefully his team is out there formulating this and going, hey, we're going to look into this. We should probably send them a letter telling them to preserve everything. We're going to want to get our hands on that. But who knows? Who knows? Who knows? All right. Um, that wasn't what I planned on starting the show with. But, you know, when you something occurs to you because it's like I get the emails. Have you seen this? Interview? Yeah, I've seen the interview. I don't want to play the clips because the clips don't really say anything. It's just this weird guy mumbling to himself. And if you watch the video, he's staring down at the floor, answering these questions. And it's a visual that I don't know if it's real. I don't know if it's how this guy is or it's just a. He's uh, just an aw shucks kind of persona that I can't imagine you can amass a personal fortune of like $40 billion and uh, manage hundreds of billions or tens of billions of dollars, and then be this sort of awkward person that you like, when they come over to your house, you want to throw away the furniture they sat on, right? Because you got this guy's going around, I assume he's making personal appeals to some particularly extremely wealthy individuals who are throwing hundreds of millions of dollars at his company, they, there has to be some ability to communicate or charm these people, doesn't there? If you're sitting down with a multi-billionaire going, you know, I think you should invest a billion dollars with our company, do you think that person is going to say, all right, here's a billion dollars, to a kid who looks like they're eating boogers and paste all day, who's sitting there shaking uncontrollably with nerves or caffeine or whatever the hell it is worse who knows bouncing off the walls and refuses to make eye contact with you and you go i'm not gonna i wouldn't trust that guy with the uh the code to the shed let alone any of my money these people who are filthy rich are filthy rich generally because they're not wildly stupid unless they inherited their wealth so you'd assume that either there'd have to be somebody else in the room who can string together a coherent sentence and not act like a 13-year-old who got caught spying at the neighbor's daughter in the shower or something through the window. Or this guy is not, he can act in a normal way when he wants to, which would 
mean that this is kind of an act. Because I can't imagine somebody going, I like the way that you refuse to... Uh, Refuse to make eye contact with me, and the way that you, you know, picked your nose and wiped it on the chair you were sitting in. I tell you what, I'm going to give you a hundred million dollars. I, li- I like the cut of your jib. No, his jib is covered in boogers and and Elmer's glue. So no. Anyway, we shall see. Maybe, hopefully, the only way we're ever going to really find out anything about what happened with this scam is if Republicans in the House of Representatives run an effective investigation and you'll be able to tell just how guilty democrats potentially are by the general lack of curiosity that members of any committee before which this guy is subpoenaed or anybody involving this case is subpoenaed you'll find out if the democrats are asking questions you'll find out democrats will go it'll either be like maxine waters going these Republicans, they got money too. And blah. if that's their defense, if that's what Democrats do, then they're not interested. That means they have something to hide. If Democrats are saying, hey, you know what? You ripped off hundreds of thousands of people of their life savings or a good chunk of their life savings, and we need to get to the bottom of this, then there's a possibility they weren't in on it. I suspect it'll be the former rather than the latter. We'll find out. Time will tell. I want to play you this clip of Joe Biden because I find it Really funny. There was the Christmas tree lighting ceremony last night in Washington, D.C., outside the White House. They decorate the same tree. It's a live tree. It's in the ground. They decorate the same tree area. There was LL Cool J down there doing the uh, emceeing. And uh, Shania Twain. I think Shania Twain is the, the pretty lady Joe Biden is referencing here. But... <clears throat> He's standing next to Jill. Joe Biden is a pervert. I highly doubt. Joe Biden has been credibly accused by many women of uh, sexually inappropriate touching, kissing, sniffing, uh, rubbing, all those things that make them wildly uncomfortable. Remember, he's still doing it. During the campaign, he said, oh, gee, I just, uh, I like to have contact with people. I like to have contact. Yeah, yeah. you like to have contact with people. That means you shake their hand or give them a hug or something. But you have gross contact. You have gross old man contact with people. And he said, but I'm not, I've learned and I'm not going to do it again. Then he goes around and, and still does it. So he and his, his wife has to know that he's got this uh, problem, this fetish, if you will. It's probably a fetish. Like some people are into some weird stuff. But... Um, so Jill is aware of this. I mean, they, they, they met while Jill was still married to her first husband. All right, They didn't meet while Joe was still married to his first wife. She'd passed away. But they met while Jill was still married. They had an affair. They came together through an affair, which makes them qualified to be hosts of Good Morning America, not president and first lady. But uh, Jill, is, they've always denied this. They came up with some BS story about how, no, 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 we, we fell in love after her divorce. Her ex-husband says, no, no, they were screwing around beforehand. I tend to believe him because it doesn't make him look particularly good. But their lie makes them look good. You, shouldn't, you should always question the person whose uh, story makes them look the best. Anyway, you know Joe's a pervert. So this kind of has to, it means Jill is cool with it or Jill is embarrassed by it. One of the two. And he's in front of Jill. 
and he talks about, and I assume he's talking about Shania Twain here, talks about this hot lady. And this is how he ends, he closes the ceremony. You can tell he would have, uh, maybe he was about to say something dirty or something in a, something old man inappropriate. Let's leave it at that. Old man inappropriate. And he stops himself. Thanks for tonight's host, LL Cool J. Yeah. Give him a, and all the great, incredible performers who are here. As a matter of fact, I don't know how they did it with uh, just that one beautiful lady coming out. Anyway, long story. Freezing. <laughs> that one beautiful lady coming out, what with her boobies hanging out. Oh, man, I can't wait to sniff her hair. I'm going to invite her over to the White House. We have her estate dinner. Oh, wait, no, Jill's here. Uh, never mind. It's just embarrassing. It's just all he has to... It's the end of the show. All he has to do is thanks, everybody, for coming out. Thanks to LL Cool J. Uh, Merry Christmas, everybody, and to all a good night or something like that instead of, hey, who wouldn't want to sneak into the trailer of that one hot Canadian chick we got over there, huh? How about her? I mean, she's up there in age now, but, you know, she's still pretty good looking for a broad in her mid-50s. Am I right? Am I right? If Jill hadn't been there, I assume that's what would have come out of his mouth because that's what I imagine is running between in the cavernous spaces between his ears. Maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think I'm wrong. So we got our idiot president flirting with presumably Shania. I don't remember who else was there. It was Shania Twain. And like, oh, that pretty lady comes out. Meanwhile, over, it's not just, well, no, before we go to that, let's talk about Twitter because we have an all-out war against free speech by one particular political party. It is shocking to see, not super surprising, but it is shocking to see how these people can look at themselves in the mirror and go, and I'm, uh, I'm an old-school liberal. You're not an old-school liberal. You're not at all remotely close to an old-school liberal. There was a time in this country where both left and right supported the Constitution and the concept of free speech. Now Democrats only support the free speech of people who agree with them. It's rather gross, to be perfectly honest with you. Very, very gross, as a matter of fact. And so you end up with Elizabeth Warren saying, well, we need to look into it. Elon Musk, he can't have free hate speech out there. He cannot have hate speech. And you go, why the hell can we not have hate? What? Well, first of all, who's to decide what hate speech is? Because personally, I would view hate speech as just spitballing here. But I would view hate speech as saying, I'm a Native American when you're not a Native American. In order to get prestigious jobs, well, high-paying jobs at prestigious universities across the country. That, that I would say, is close to hate speech anyway. That lie, that lying is, is not good. But that doesn't seem to compute with Elizabeth Warren. She doesn't seem to care. One might, if you had been a, uh, a conservative and you had, I don't know, let's just make it up here. You had uh, contributed to a book called Pow Wow Chow about, I swear to God, these names that they come up with. And it was a, a book about 
Native American recipes, and you had contributed recipes as a Native American, whereas in reality, your camouflage in a snowstorm would be nudity. You are that white. One would, the left would absolutely go insane accusing you of cultural appropriation and making sure that you knew that you were just this side of Hitler in their book, right? But she can do it. And she's a Democrat in good standing and shall remain such because that's how they roll. God, they're such gross people. But uh, yeah, that's that's what's been going on with Elizabeth Warren and the war on Twitter. And then we have this guy, Yoel Roth. Now, remember, Democrats are upset that you, you are allowed to express yourself on Twitter. They're mad. And consider it an affront to all of human existence that you can go on social media, on Twitter, and say, hey, Rachel Levine is a man. That's honestly, that's what uh, the Babylon Bee, the Babylon Bee got suspended. Their Twitter account got suspended, the satire site, for a satirical post saying that Rachel Levine was their man of the year. Because Rachel Levine is a man. But instead, they got banned from Twitter over that because of the, the hate implications in that under the old regime. They've since been allowed back. You know, they've been absolved of their guilt by Elon Musk. Not of the left. Left never forgives unless you do a complete contrition and uh, become one of them and get in line. They will never, ever, ever under any circumstances forgive you unless you do that. But... Elon Musk let him back on there, and that has the left upset. You can't say that a trans, because they, even the NF or the NHL, which, you know, I do love me some hockey, they've gone woke. They tweeted out last week that trans women are women and non binary is real. Now, they did this apropos of nothing. Who cares why they did it? I don't know. Gary Bettman, the uh, commissioner of the NHL, should be fired. The woman who is in charge of diversity and inclusion and equity, the die office, it's, it's diversity, equity, and inclusion, but it should be diversity, inclusion, and equity because then it would be die for short because all of these people should just drop dead, their professions anyway. They should both be fired immediately because they're bringing absolutely nothing to the table of value in any way, shape, or form. It just takes the Twitter account and goes, yeah, trans women are women. If trans women were women, you wouldn't have to call them trans women, first of all. Can we just point? Are we allowed to point that out? I don't think we're allowed to point that out. But if I were to point that out, it would probably be a hate crime. Trans women are women. There's a video, actually, in my uh, Twitter feed. You might have to scroll back a little ways uh, to find it. But the last 24 hours of a trans woman who is uh, very, very upset that after the reconstructive surgery, <laughs> just let's just call reconstructive surgery after they made her outie or his outie and innie or whatever, um, that it's going to require more surgery and that it requires that nobody told me that it was going to be that painful, that difficult. Uh, by the way, this is a trans woman of color. Yes, you got to say that. Uh, yeah, that nobody pointed out that it was going to be this painful and this much of a pain. And yet, I'll spare you all the details. I'll uh, spare you all the details because I don't want to uh, get gross. 
they spare you all the details because I don't want to get gross, but it sounds horrible. And she goes on a three-minute rant about how painful it is. And she's going to have to have more surgery because it didn't work. You know, just the way nature intended. Just the way nature intended. Um, it is uh, something to behold. I can't, if I played it, I'd have to beep half of it out and the rest of it would be gross and without, I just, no. That is unfortunate. You sit there and she's, the person says at the beginning, I'm not regretting the surgery. It then goes on to do three minutes about it. How it sure as hell seems like they're trying to regret the surgery. Just, just saying. But <laughs> the trans women are women. I have to have vaginal reconstructive surgery many, many times over and over again, just the way nature intended. Let's just leave it at that. So you can get suspended for saying, you could have gotten suspended. You can't get suspended for saying that anymore. You could also get suspended for saying, hey, we've got this laptop here of Hunter Biden's who uh, it's it's just littered with him having sex with prostitutes, him smoking crack, videos of him smoking crack, and a whole bunch of emails saying things like 10% for the big guy and working out overseas business deals in relation to his father's position as vice president of the United States. What's weird is... If you remember when the Hunter Biden story broke and the left was ignoring it, it was Russian disinformation, all the hallmarks of Russian disinformation that they implied, they said in many cases, Vladimir Putin manufactured this thing and planted it in this store. Now, that's a, a wild thing that's implementing the guy, implicating the guy who, who ran the computer repair shop, et cetera, et cetera, which is ridiculous and he should sue over all of it. But they never told you what was in it. Because if Vladimir Putin was able to fake all that was in it, Vladimir Putin could destroy any human being on the face of the earth. Because not only, well, the emails, okay, I'll grant you that if you wanted to fake the emails, you could fake the emails pretty easily in the grand scheme. It would be elaborate. It would take a long time. And there's a lot of emails. But it would, it would be doable because they're just words, right? They're just typing. Whereas if you, you wanted to fake the videos of him having sexual relations with prostitutes or all the times he filmed himself smoking crack, those are pretty tough to fake. Now, granted, there is deep fake technology. Uh, and it wasn't really widely available back a couple of years ago. It was available, but it wasn't widely available. That would be tougher to fake, wouldn't you think? But they never talked about it. And even still, when CBS News just two weeks ago, after more than 700 days of this thing being in existence, said, breaking news, we have validated this, uh, this laptop and the information on it. All they did was go, hey, experts, could you look at this? Oh, this is real? Okay. That was it. Something they could have done two years ago, something they refused to do two years ago because they didn't like, they knew what the answer would be. Even then, CBS News didn't say, you know, there's an awful lot of videos of him having sex with young Russian or Eastern European prostitutes. They don't want to say that because the implication, if you have, you know, especially Eastern European prostitutes is, 
They are uh, human trafficked victims, human trafficking victims, sex trafficking, and it implicates the Biden family in a much darker world than just corruption for profit. You know, it's weird how they run protection for this guy, for this family, no matter what. Everything anybody named Trump did, Barron got into a fight at school. Stop the press this moment. We need to get on this thing. But anything a, a Biden does, there's no explanation. There's no implication. There's nothing. The closest thing they've come to anger about a Biden is the uh, Ashley Biden wedding that they just had at the White House, which we heavily subsidize as taxpayers because Joe loves suckling the government teat and taking advantage of his position. The press was upset that they weren't allowed to cover it. They were told it was a private event. And then uh, they found out that the Biden family had negotiated a deal with Vanity Fair for the exclusive right. Now, could you imagine? It is the White House. It is the people's house. It's not their house. It happens to be their residence for four years, but that's it. It is not their house. They can have the wedding there. That's fine. But then to sell the exclusive rights to Vanity Fair for God knows how much, that's a bit much. That seems to me to be an exploitation of their position. And even if they did, well, it's not direct money. There is a monetary value to having a full-blown spread of Vanity Fair in Vanity Fair. There's a a full-blown, there's monetary value. Because why? Because then Ashley Biden has become famous. Whatever Ashley Biden does for a living, on top of being a Biden and the people who want to buy her off, just uh, it it casts a wider net for people to want to buy her off. Of course, it turns out that the... uh, it's weird. You want to know how weird the Biden family is. Not only did they sell the exclusive rights to cover Ashley Biden's wedding to Vanity Fair, they didn't actually let Vanity Fair cover the real wedding. They staged a fake wedding for photographs <laughs> for Vanity Fair. So we got to pay twice. We got to pay all the pay what? I don't know. Maybe the Bidens paid for the catering. But the people who work at the White House... They have to be involved. You can't just say, okay, White House staff, security staff, details, everything. You guys sit this one out. We've got some uh, independent caterers coming in. No, no. Everybody who enters the White House grounds has to be vetted by the Secret Service. That costs money. Everybody who comes in has to be watched like a hawk, has to have a background check, especially if you're preparing food, real or imagined, for the first family, et cetera, et cetera. Or you have to pay White House staff to do it. Either way, costs money. The people who are on the staff are getting paid by taxpayers. We are the taxpayers. But if you are a self-entitled jackass like Joe Biden is, it doesn't really matter. This is the person that everybody on the left was lining up to protect. That brings us to Yoel Roth. Yoel Roth was the head of Twitter's Trust and Safety. He was at an event this week talking about the decisions that maybe we went a little too far in trying to block the Hunter Biden story. It was, um, yeah, after the fact. Maybe I shouldn't have pushed that old lady down the stairs now that I think about it. It's probably not a good thing to do. It's garbage. Not surprising, but it's garbage. Let us listen to him. Beginning in 2017, every platform, Twitter included, started to invest really heavily in building out an election integrity function. This was what I spent my life doing from the middle of 2017 onwards. 
We were focused on not just U.S. elections, but how do you protect against malign interference in foreign elections? How do you think about different threat actors in this space? And also critically, how do you think about what those threat actors might do? And so as we are threat modeling the 2020 election, it's obvious to think about the most influential thing that impacted the 2016 election, which was the hack and leak campaign organized by the Russian government. And so we would have been stupid not to think about that risk. Right. So what happened there? And so the morning of the Hunter Biden story in the New York Post happens, and it was weird, right? With distance and with, with what we know now, we, we forget some of the weirdness. But do you remember the, the laptop repair guy? Do you remember the uncertainty of the, of the whole story? We didn't know what to believe. We didn't know what was true. There was, there was smoke. And ultimately for me, uh, it didn't reach a place where I was comfortable removing this content from Twitter. But it set off every single one of my finely tuned APT28 hack and leak campaign alarm right, bells. So it looked possibly probably. It, Everything about it looked you like a hack not, and leak and smelled like a hack and leak. You did not like want to do that. Leak, but it didn't get there for me. Right. And this is, you know, the, the work of content moderation is write a policy, create a system of governance, and then evaluate some new crazy situation why, against those standards. Why the need to do it? You gotta love it. It didn't get there for me. Then if you're in charge of this, why was it deleted? Why was it blocked? Why was it forbidden? You're the guy in charge. Everything about it looked like a hack and leak. I mean, the guy who had the laptop was weird. Okay, he's a computer repair guy. Find me a computer repair guy. You're like, he's my greatest wingman. You'll never find that guy. It's just weird. And so it's everything about it was like a Russian hack and leak. Meanwhile, anything that was leaked and actually leaked Against policy was if it was against Donald Trump, the Twitter said, yeah, no, this is fine. This is perfectly fine. Half of the political story, which ended up being lies, they were cool with. But I just, you can't listen to this head of Twitter safety. Absolve himself. Well, I didn't. I really opposed. It's Twitter admitting, and Elon, their Twitter, uh, former Twitter employees, admitting that Twitter meddled in the 2020 election. But they did. Well, we were afraid Russia was going to meddle in the election, so we had to meddle in the election to make sure that Russia didn't meddle in the election. We had to uh, destroy capitalism in order to save capitalism from people who were trying to destroy capitalism. Wait a second, how does that work? It doesn't matter. Shut up and obey. Because the ultimate question is, if the head of safety and uh, misinformation or safety and trust at Twitter is out there talking about how he didn't think something should be censored, and then it was censored, that brings about the question, well, then who the hell has the ability to override the dude in charge of, you know, not being overridden? Who can override the guy who can override everybody else? I don't know. He said he quit uh, Twitter. He resigned from Twitter because Twitter became run like a dictatorship. From the top down. It started being run top down rather than... Rather than what? The guy bought Twitter, all right? They, the problem with Twitter before is that it wasn't run from the top down, that it was run like a frat house going, who wants to get kegs? All right, what kind of beer? Miller Lite or uh, Miller? Well, one tastes great and the other is less filling. I'm not really sure which one it is. That's not how corporations are run, particularly when they are owned by somebody. Now, it could be different, really bad management style. 
as apparently it was under Jack Dorsey's reign at Twitter, that uh, they said, well, we, we need to form committees to find out how things are. And that's why, if you're wondering why Twitter never turned a profit, it might be because they ran things by committee and the committees were populated by leftist lunatics who were uh, too stupid for their own good. You know, <laughs> just saying, just saying that could have been a, a factor in that. That's the problem with the woke crap is that you end up in a situation where people are simply uh, companies are simply run by uh, committees of leftists, woke leftists, and they'll run them into the ground. Actually, this is a prime example of this, this is a perfect parlay. Into this from the Wall Street Journal, an opinion column ran yesterday in the Wall Street Journal by a woman named Robin Keller. She was an equity partner at a place called Hogan Lovells. Hogan Lovells. Now, Hogan Lovells is a, uh, a major law firm, right? A massive law firm. And she ran this thing. Uh, she was a very successful person, a very successful lawyer there. And she got fired. Now, she'd sort of semi-retired, but she was still doing legal work. She got fired after the decision in the Dobbs case. Now, what is the Dobbs case? Well, the Dobbs case was the case of uh, abortion. It's the case that overturned Roe v. Wade. Turns out that the the law firm of Hogan Lovells, which is one of the, it's I think the second most profitable, or had the second most income in the world of a law firm last year, over $4 billion, I think it was. Well, they were very concerned about the health, mental health of the women who work there because as every man knows, all women care about is their ability to terminate a pregnancy. No woman is capable of preventing a pregnancy from happening beforehand, either because they uh, have no idea how birth control works or they are simply slaves to their hormones and cannot resist having unprotected sex. You know how women are. They're just emotional creatures. Of course, saying that, I'm joking, but there are so many people on the left for whom that's seemingly how they think of women. Well, you just can't, once they get riled up, they can't go, wait, what about a condom? Couldn't possibly go, hey, I should take a pill. Nothing like that. No, 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 no. Women just operate on this base instinct of, I got to have a man. I got to have a man and let's throw personal responsibility to the wind. Well... Robin Keller writes this in the Wall Street Journal yesterday. After the Supreme Court issues its, issued its Dobbs decision overturning Roe v. Wade in June, global law firm Hogan Lovells organized an online conference call for female employees. As a retired equity partner still actively serving clients, I was invited to participate in what was billed as a safe space for women at the firm to discuss the decision. It might have been a safe space for some, but it wasn't safe for me. Everyone else who spoke on the call was unanimous in her anger and outrage about Dobbs. Now, I wonder if there were any trans women on the call. They were expressing their outrage about Dobbs. I spoke up to offer a different view. I noted that many jurists and commentators believed Roe had been wrongly decided. I said that the court was right to demand the issue, uh, remand the issue to the states. I added that... Uh, 
uh, I thought abortion rights advocates had brought much of the pushback against Roe on themselves by pushing for extreme policies. See, not that this person is opposed to abortion per se, I don't know, but it is that when you're up against somebody who says up to the moment of birth or even after birth, you should be able to terminate a kid if it's inconvenient and the mom changes her mind halfway through the labor process. And most Americans, most human beings recoil at that. The Democrats always say people support a woman's right to choose. Polls do support that claim, but they only support that claim up to about 15 weeks. Then once the child becomes viable outside the womb, they recoil in horror again. And so when you get to the third trimester, the Democrats don't even try to pretend that it's not murdering a baby that could live outside the womb. They say that is such a rare instance. And it is, it's not really all that rare. And if it were all that rare, then what's the point in banning it? What's the problem with banning it? It's a problem with saying, sorry, you had six months to make up your mind. Uh, tough. You're just going to have to put the kid up for adoption or whatever. What's wrong with Democrats won't entertain that. And that's the extremism that this writer is talking about. She said, uh, blah, blah, blah. I referred to numerous reports of disproportionately high rates of abortion in the black community, which some have called a form of genocide. I said that I thought this was tragic. Now, that comes into play in a moment. She thinks that the aborting of, say, 50% of the children conceived in New York City is, you know, sad. It's not a good thing. Democrats love it because it's more money for Planned Parenthood, which means more money in their coffers, and they're making a play for the Hispanic community. They've sewn up the black vote anyway, so they don't have to really care. It's also a continuation of the mission of Planned Parenthood when it was founded by the racist eugenicist Margaret Sanger. So they placed Planned Parenthood offices in black neighborhoods for a very specific reason. They wanted to make abortion of black people much easier because they wanted fewer black people. One can only look at the numbers and think they got what they wanted. The outrage was immediate, she continues. The next speaker called me a racist and demanded that I leave the meeting. Another particip Other participants said they, quote, lost their ability to breathe on hearing my comments. These are adult lawyers. After more of the same, I hung up. Someone made a formal complaint to the firm. Later that day, Hogan Lovells suspended my contracts, cut off my contact with clients, removed me from email and document systems, and emailed all U.S. personnel saying that a forum participant had made, quote, anti-black comments and was suspended pending an investigation. Now, don't you love this is how the left operates? Shut up. Obey or else. Anti-black comments. Hey, the wholesale murder of black babies is probably not super good. Oh, that's anti-black. Okay, well, now you can see why Democrats don't give a damn about the murders in Chicago, the murders in Baltimore, the murders in Detroit and Philadelphia and St. Louis and Los They don't care about them because they don't look at, you know, what, I don't know, 200,000? Half a million abortions of black babies every year is any big deal. So what's a few thousand murders of adults? They don't care. They actually probably get off on it, to be honest with you. 
but 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 the firm also released a statement to the legal website above the law, bemoaning the devastating impact on uh, uh, my views it had on participants in the forum, most of whom were lawyers participating in a call conveniently uh, convened expressly for the purpose of discussing a controversial legal and political topic. Someone leaked my name to the press. Don't you love it? The law, oh no, this horrible person. It's terrible. All these lawyers are so upset. Now, if you are a business owner, if you are a small client or a potential large client or a current client in any way, shape or form of Hogan Lovells, this law firm, one of the biggest law firms in the world, wouldn't you be rethinking that relationship now? If you were a potential client of this law firm, Hogan Lovells, wouldn't you be rethinking the prospect of, well, they want our business, but I don't want to have, now, you probably have nothing to, your business probably has nothing to do with abortion. But you know now that this law firm is not only populated by a whole bunch of adult human beings, theoretically, who can't handle disagreement with them on certain opinions and certain issues, at least on abortion. Who knows what else? It's not going to be just abortion. If you are hyperventilating and can't catch your breath over somebody saying, hey, I don't, maybe uh, Roe should be left up to the states. Maybe black genocide is a bad thing. If that causes you to hyperventilate to the point that you have to file a complaint against a colleague, somebody who'd been there a long time, an equity partner, and that law firm comes down on the side of those complaints, protecting those weak, skulled, spineless employees who are too cowardly to hear a dissenting opinion, then why the hell would you take your business to them? I'm just asking. I I wouldn't. It seems to me that if you as a client want to hire a law firm, you want to have a law firm that will represent your interests, whether or not that law firm agrees with your position or opinions, either on what you hired them to protect you against or anything else. Now you got to wonder if you're somebody in your firm, your company, whatever is pro-life, and uh, this law firm, Hogan Level, finds out about it. Will you get the best defense or advocacy that your money is paying for? I would have to speculate you are not. Now, if there's anything else controversial, either about what you need legal representation for or what you believe as a human being or anybody in your employee believes as a human being that goes counter to what the liberal narrative is, will you, can you count on Hogan Lovells giving you the legal representation to which you are entitled and for which I assume you would be paying a pretty penny? I would say no. It's a decision everybody has to make on their own, but I'm not sure who in the hell would want to go after this. Now, this is in the page of the Wall Street Journal. Let's hope that this law firm feels some some pressure here to go, wait a second. This is going to damage us. So I think it will damage them. She continues, I filed my own complaint with the firm's general counsel office alleging that the firm and those who had attacked me on the call had violated the company's anti-harassment policy by publicly labeling me a racist. Hogan Lovells hired another firm to conduct an outside investigation. Three weeks later, I received a letter stating that the firm had concluded that my reference to comments labeling black abortion rates as genocide was a violation of the anti-harassment policy. 
How is that even humanly possible? Are there people who work at Hogan Levels who want to commit black genocide? Maybe. One must sort of draw that conclusion, should they not? Never mind that this view has been expressed by numerous mainstream commentators, black and white, including in these pages of the Wall Street Journal. My complaint was dismissed. My contracts with the firm were terminated. And other firms wary of publicity blackballed me. All after an unblemished 44-year career. Yes, cancel culture will come for anyone. Keller concludes, The response to the rapidly anti-Dobbs participants on the call wasn't surprising. What was shocking, at least to me, was how eagerly Hogan Lovells kowtowed to a woke faction inside its workforce. Several women on the call, as well as male lawyers at the firm, contacted me later, offering private support for my right to express my views. Yeah, private support. Doesn't really help. Private support. Those former colleagues must now realize that they are in a hostile work environment. If this could happen to me, anyone who expresses a disfavored opinion, even on a matter of law, can expect the same treatment. Immediate cancellation without concern for clients' interests, due process, or fairness. Which, again, leads back to my question, why in the hell would anybody hire Hogan Lovells? as a law firm, to represent them, knowing that should any of their lawyers find out that they hold an opinion that is not in good favor with the radical left, that you will likely not, your your lawyer will likely cancel you as a client, setting you back a lot, costing you a lot of money, or they will continue, and quite possibly, maybe even quite probably, giving you subpar, substandard, bitter, spite-filled, looking like they're doing something, but not really because they despise you, legal representation. All this because the firm of Hogan Lovells, according to Ms. Keller, has empty underpants, at least in the front. They seem to have a lot in the back, or between their ears if they agree with the woke mob. You take your pick. Neither is a particularly good option. If you, is, I, hey, I don't think that uh, exterminating black people, half black, is, is a super great idea. I think that's kind of like genocide. No, I'd say you're familiar with the works of Margaret Sanger. You're familiar with the works of the Democrat Party before it became unfashionable. Now, they're still doing the same thing. They're just not so vocal about it. They're more super secret. They're playing the cards closer to the vest now. Okay. Okay, but it, just to show that it's not simply a a stupidity of the left in the United States, that this is worldwide, worldwide progressivism. Progressivism is victimhood, and uh, victimhood is progressivism, and there is a desire, an unfettered desire, to be a victim in these United States now and in the world. If you are a leftist, they want to be, people want to be victims. It's a sickness. It really is a mental disorder. To prove this point, we will go to the other side of the pond, the other side of the ocean, and talk about what happened at Buckingham Palace. Buckingham Palace is in the midst of a controversy now because a woman over there, whose name I'm going to butcher, her name is uh, Ngozi, Ngozi, N-G-O-Z-I, Fulani, 
F-U-L-A-N-I. Now, if that sounds like a made-up name, it's because it is. She was actually born under a different name. She was born under a normal name, but she changed it to sound more ethnic because she wants to be totally... But she's a, she's a grievance person. That's what goes on with these leftists, is uh, they want grievance. Her real name, her birth name was Marlene Headley. But you can't claim victimhood. You can't be a race hustler with a name like Marlene Headley, can you? Marlene Headley sounds like, oh, that new picture with Bing Crosby and Marlene Headley opens this weekend at the Paramount. We should go. We should secure our tickets and get our uh, Sunday best pressed so that we might attend this new picture in, uh, in our highest garb. That's like 1934. Ladies and gentlemen, the Best Actor Award, go, Actress Award goes to Marlene Headley for Say It Ain't So. Oh, and a polite applause. But no, you can't be a grievance activist with a name like Marlene Headley. You have to change it to Ngazi Fulani. And you have to dress seemingly exclusively in traditional African garb, and when not dressed in traditional African garb, be draped in African colors, which somehow are green, yellow, and red. There's no, it's not like, well, this is the country. This, no, Africa is a continent, but in the uh, 80s, it seems like green, yellow, and red became the uh, official colors of the entire continent of Africa, at least among people who don't live in Africa. It's weird. Remember those Africa medallions that people wore? And somebody made a fortune off that going, hey, Let's uh, make African medallions out of cheap pleather and we'll sell them for like five, ten bucks a piece. We'll make a killing. And they did. They did. Watch any rap video from like 1986 to 1989 and you'll see some dude rocking one of those things. Those and crown air fresheners. Remember those? Big gaudy crown air fresheners sitting on the back dashboard of the of a car? Like, Wow. And they had to be, had to be chalk. The car had to smell the high heaven with whatever the fragrance was because those things were huge. They got to have a big smell coming, for, emitting from them. But uh, this is this woman. She heads a so-called charity over there in the UK, and her Twitter is sistaspace.org. She's at sista, spelled with a h underscore space on Twitter says, specialist support for African and Caribbean heritage women affected by abuse. Seemingly a noble cause, but probably not super uh, exciting for fundraising purposes, I would guess. Therefore, she ends up in a situation where she is at the Buckingham Palace for an event. Decked out in traditional African garb, by the way, which... To my mind, since she's born in Britain, she's a second or third generation British, is cultural appropriation for my money, right? Isn't it? If I went around wearing lederhosen, somebody could genuinely accuse me of looking like a dork, first of all. But secondly, cultural appropriation, because while my heritage is German, if you go back far enough, I, A, couldn't care less about it, and B... I'm not German in any way, shape, or form. For example, I have never once invaded Poland. I am, I am in, passionately indifferent toward the Rhineland. So I have no... I'm not German at all. I've never looked at France and thought I could take them. Well, actually, that's not true. I'm still pretty sure I could. But beside the point, irrelevant. 
I do not go around drinking Paul Anner Pilsner and wearing lederhosen. It's just not how I am. But if I did, you could say, well, that's a little bit of a cultural appropriation, don't you think? In fact, I went to a, an Oktoberfest party this year where most people, including my wife and daughters, were dressed up in like frows and, and dudes were wearing lederhosen and I did not. I wouldn't even entertain the idea. My wife said, I bought, I think she bought me a hat or something like that. If I wanted, I said, no, you can stop right there. I'm not doing it. I am not interested. So I do, I do want to be cultural appropriating. But this woman clearly is. She's dressed up in this. So a woman, an elderly woman, 83 years old, Lady Hussey or something like that. I don't know what the hell her name is. It doesn't matter. If I said it, it wouldn't matter. She is part of the courtier of the UK. Walked over and struck up a conversation with her and asked her where she was from. Right? Because if you're advertising, you're basically, it's like, remember those bumper stickers, ask me about my grandchildren? This would be the equivalent, it sounds like, of rolling up next to a sedan with that on the back, getting them to roll down their window and saying, hey, what's up with your grandkids? Because you're advertising, ask me about, you know, if that person goes, how dare you? That's a private matter and storms off. That'd be a little bit weird. But if somebody is dressed in this traditional garb and wearing seashells and all this stuff, and you think, well, this person clearly wants to advertise something. So I right, tell me about your, co-. it seems like, I bet you this lady, Hussey, Husey, Hussey, whatever, H-U-S-S-E-Y, was trying to be polite or what she thought was polite. Hey, here's this woman. She's from somewhere else, probably judging by her dress. Oh, where are you from? And it's all from England. Like, oh, um, okay. What, I mean, but where are you really from? Like, where, because you're dressed up in this, uh, this garb. You're probably, no, no, no. I'm from England, she said. And she got outraged that dare anybody come up and ask her about her grandchildren. <laughs> well, take take the bumper sticker off the car and maybe nobody would give you a damn about your grandchildren. Realistically, uh, Lady Hussey's big mistake, she has resigned from whatever post she had, her big mistake was trying to strike up a conversation with a left-wing activist, especially a left-wing race activist. That was the real problem. So this uh, left-wing race activist ends up on Good Morning Britain or whatever. Their version of morning television is terrible. Media is terrible anywhere on the planet. And she ends up there and she's talking about how hard... She was never asked about, hey, you know, you kind of uh, were wearing that uh, to ask me about my grandchildren thing. And this lady just tried to strike up conversation with you. You'd have probably called her a racist if she didn't, if she walked right past you and didn't say a damn thing to you. So you can't really win with leftists. But she was upset about this. First, listen to this first cut. You didn't expect the furore. Have you had any response directly from Buckingham Palace? We understand Prince William has invited you. No, so that surprised me. People keep saying the palace has reached out to me. Nobody's reached out to me. No, from the palace. Have they reached out to the charity? No. No, No, I I don't know where this has come from, but I'm telling you categorically, we have not heard from the palace. So the Prince of Wales, Prince William, made a statement saying he's inviting you to the palace to discuss all elements of your experience. Mm. Will you take up that invitation? See, what we're about is positive results. 
So absolutely, I think a, a discussion should be held. Mm -hmm. And we're very happy to have that discussion because we just want to bring it back to the 16 days of activism. This is about violence against women and girls. And although I didn't experience physical violence, what I feel I experienced was a form of abuse. <laughs> Nyla, will you will you go meet with the prince he wants to meet with? Uh, uh, with something we'll have to entertain. We have to find a way to monetize it. And of course, if there's long as we can have cameras in there or what have you, etc., etc. What we really want to bring this back is 16 days of activism. Oh, wait a second. You mean you're you're trying to use this for publicity for your own purposes to feather your own nest? What a shocking development! What an amazing, oh, you're so put upon, this victim of racism. You can't find a picture of this woman without her wearing traditional African garb and or, like, here's a picture of her wearing, what is, I don't know, is that Cleopatra or Nefertiri? Earrings are huge, but they're designed to draw attention while wearing the green, yellow, red, black scarf and uh, neckerchief and sure, she's gone full out in this one. And you sit there and you go, this is exactly what this woman wanted. This is exactly what the left is. The left is the left is the left is the left. Now, they're going to bend over backwards. They're going to make her a media celebrity. They're likely not going to acknowledge anything. And as they do in this country, any of the controversies, any of the non-troversies, any of the things that she's been involved with, and they will likely uh, throw money at her. She might even get a title out of it. Who the hell knows? Because uh, King Charles is a uh, is a big time lefty too. I've never seen anybody just go, "Oh my God!" Just bow down. Hell, this woman could become an equity partner at that law firm. She should be. Why not? Reach out. Hey, we've got branches all around the world. I know you're not a lawyer or anything, but you are right in line with our political beliefs. We'll just throw you money. Why not? It's how the left operates. Speaking of how the left operates in this field, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, AOC herself. For the first time, I never heard her uh, boyfriend, fiancé, partner, whatever it is. I'm assuming gender there, but after hearing this audio, I probably shouldn't. This person she's allegedly engaged to named Riley, a white dude. Why would she, again, marry a white guy? A ginger, no less. The whitest of the white. She put a video on Instagram with him, and then you begin to see that, okay, well, he's definitely the beta in this relationship. You almost feel bad for him, but then you realize he's just a pathetic, spineless bowl of jello, and you shouldn't bother caring about him. But they're talking about racism. And Riley, whitest of the white, he makes Elizabeth Warren look actually possibly Native American has some thoughts for you, you worthless crackers out there, about how it is that you should deal with your racism. Because, frankly, you are racist. Look at your skin color. So, Riley, what has been helpful to you in combating racism? Uh, I think it's helpful and important to talk to other white people about racism. And I think a lot of people, they don't want to be racist. They don't think that they're racist. But they also don't know some of the things that they believe or say are and can be racist. And I think one of the like effective ways is just to talk and kind of help teach them about why some of the things they believe or say or think are wrong. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily racist, but that they're wrong. And that'll sort of like chip away and 
you know, contribute to some development in this area, but not necessarily take somebody from like being a racist to mm-hmm. not being a racist in one conversation. And it's just always being open to learning about racist things that we may have said or done without judgment and defensiveness. Yeah, no, uh, yeah, totally. I, uh, you know, it's, I assure you this person is at least allegedly a man or a valley girl, one of the two, I don't know which. Uh, you gotta be able to sit there and know that you're totally like a racist and stuff, you know? If he had long hair, he'd be flipping it back over his shoulder. It's like, I tell you, these racists, I was at the mall the other day. I went to an Ulta Beauty because my eyeliner was running low. And, uh, I heard people asking for eyeliner, but they were not culturally sensitive about it. It was horrible. I took them aside and I told them, you are not being, uh, sensitive enough to the people around you. And uh, they appreciated it. They, they punched me. They, they stole my purse and uh, ran off. And, call, and It was just a terrible experience. But I think I made an impact in them. Can you imagine? How do you learn to be less racist? Well, uh, I propose to, uh, to you, and you're not white, so I, don't, I think I'm pretty... If I'm a racist, I'm pretty horrible at it. You know, that'd be my answer but no i'll tell you uh, uh you gotta sound like a valley girl meets butthead i tell you you gotta pull everybody aside and you gotta be open to just how racist you are even when you're not racist you're probably being racist and i think i found that not being racist is perhaps the most racist thing that i did in the last seven days and so i apologize for that everywhere i go imagine being these people I mean, granted, I'm glad they're together so that they would not inflict themselves on two other people. You know, it's better that they inflict themselves on each other. But still, good God, this is it. And allegedly, yeah, they're allegedly going to get married. Um, God bless them, or Gia bless them, or whatever the hell it is, the flying spaghetti, whatever they believe in, bless them. They deserve each other. What's the saddest part isn't that they found each other. It's that there are millions of people out there who vote for these and people like this, idiots like this. That's the entirety of the Democratic Party, if you really want to be honest. Before we go, I want to play you this clip from uh, The View. Balenciaga, I think, is the name of the fashion house. I just want to show you what constitutes a conservative when it comes to places like The View, garbage people on The View. They're, uh, they're conservative. Their token Republican, I guess you could say, is Alyssa Farah Griffin. Alyssa Farah. Her father is, uh, I can't read on some, some conservative site. It's kind of an irrelevant site, but back in the day it was relevant. I can't remember what it was called. Doesn't matter. Um, he or she is a, a former communications director for President Trump who decided it was better career move seemingly to be against everything that she that made her. And it ended up she was right. She ended up on The View making a bunch of money. All she has to do is not be too vocal. Don't be too conservative. Learn her place. Understand she's got to shut up. She's got to let these people go, let these people be their radical selves, and don't be too disagreeable lest you get in trouble. And she's quite good at that. She's happy to do that. And so 
The discussion over the Balenciaga, I told you yesterday, the the bondage bears photos with kids, really kind of gross and uh, weird that anybody would dare do that. But this is who Democrats are. This is how Democrats are. Well, she says the real problem with using children in an advertisement with bondage and sexual imagery isn't using children in bondage and sexual imagery. It is, in fact, that the problem is that Republicans, that conservatives can use it. I'm not even, it's hard to explain how stupid this is, but you got to understand that it's the view. There's growing anti-LGBTQ sentiment right now, and how it's being framed is as portraying, you know, trans people as groomers. This is a term you'll hear on the far right. They're groomers. This is where you get the anti-drag queen stuff that we're seeing. So Balenciaga played right into their hands by having kids in a sexualized manner carrying something that represents, you know, sex acts. I think it was a really bad misstep at a moment where it's just kind of a dangerous time to even give credence to those kind of insane takes. (laughs) The problem isn't that they're sexualizing children. It's the problem is that it allows Republicans to point out how liberals are sexualizing children. That's the real problem there. Alyssa, Alyssa just gave birth to a child. So I guess if you are in the market for marketing perverted things to weird people who like to see children sexualized, then you could reach out to Alyssa Farrah Griffin and say, hey, I understand that you're willing to allow you. You think it's a good thing because, you know, we'll do it in a way that is gross, but not super gross. And it will not in any way, shape or form allow the right to denounce child porn or grooming or what I don't even fully understand what she's trying to say here. And this is your brain on liberalism. This is your brain on trying to appeal to the left because some part of her brain, while she's perfectly okay with selling out everything and has no conscience like that, at some point there comes a point where you're like, how do I, I want to bandwagon on this thing. I know that I can ingratiate myself to my bosses. I assume she got like a one-year contract, so she's got to suck up in those 12 months to get a renewal. Shouldn't at some point your brain just go, this is a little gross. This is a little gross, okay? You shouldn't sexualize children. But no, her brain goes, I've got it. Eureka! I know exactly how to talk about the sexualizing of children and turn it into something that doesn't make Democrats look bad. It'll make Republicans look bad. No, it doesn't. She's not particularly bright, as evidenced by the fact that she tried. But, you know, in the mind of the left, it's an A for effort. Results are for suckers. Am I right? I'm right. Of course I'm right. All right, that is enough time for today and enough time for this week. Fear not, we'll be back to do it all again on Monday and also the Week in F and Review at patreon.com slash Podcast or derekhunter.locals.com. Go there, check it out, sign up, give it a shot, give it a month. We'll take off the weight or whatever. Appreciate your support. Have a great weekend. See you soon.